pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen.
church amongst Christians that's more deadly than the disease we just came out of COVID-19 as a matter of fact I don't know of a deadlier disease and uh, I know COVID is a nickname I think it stands for coronavirus infectious disease of 2019 I think that's what it means something like that anyway but it's named after the type of disease it is, which was a SARS-2 kind of virus or something. And then they put the 19 on there because that's when, I guess that's when they, the WHO announced that it was a valid disease or whatever. I don't know how long it was around before that. Uh, as you know, it was a worldwide pandemic and as far as I'm concerned, it's over, but I guess it depends on who you talk to and what they believe. But this disease that I want to talk to you about this morning, as far as I can tell, it only affects Christians. And uh, is actually so lethal that COVID pales in comparison to it. And it's also a worldwide disease and also a pandemic. And uh, the reason it's deadlier than COVID or any other disease that you can think of is because it not only affects the physical body, but it affects the spirit and the soul. And Jesus warned us in Matthew 10, 28. He said to fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now I'm going to take just a little bit of liberty with this passage of scripture. Uh, we know he's talking about fearing God because God is the only one that could uh, cause us to lose both physical life and spiritual life. And, you know, spiritual death is not a cessation to exist. Spiritual death is a condition whereby we're separated from our maker. We're separated from God. You're still alive spiritually. You're, you, uh, the real you, the spirit man that's in this body, looking through the windows of these eyes, 
is going to live forever. And we just uh, determine when we accepted Jesus as Lord where we're going to live for eternity. We're going to live with him in heaven, amen? And on the earth and in the universe and whatever assignment he has for us, we're going to live forever. So spiritual death is simply separation from God. And nobody wants to suffer spiritual death if they really understood it. And nobody should suffer spiritual death because God made a way. And that way is Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, not a truth, not a life. It is the way, the truth, the life. One way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. So I'm going to take a little bit of liberty here with this scripture, and I'm going to say, fear not them or that which is able to kill uh, the body but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him or that which is able to destroy uh, or kill both the body and the soul in hell. So it's not only fearing the Lord because he has that ability. There is other things in the world that we need to be aware of and be careful of because they have the same ability to kill us physically and kill our soul. Amen? Uh, all evidence that I've seen so far indicates that this Disease seems to be contained in uh, and amongst Christians, and as far as I can tell, there's no record of a non-believer having this fatal disease, this virus. It doesn't have a well-known name, like COVID or typhoid or bubonic plague or E. coli or AIDS. Uh, we're all familiar with those terms, uh, or any other well-known disease. But it's just as deadly, and I hope that after today I can create at least a little bit of awareness amongst us and those that are watching us by social media venues, and uh, especially this church, uh, I hope that we can become aware of this disease so that we can watch out for it. As far as I know, there's no physical medication that you can take, no vitamins, no prophylactic treatments, that will help with the symptoms of this disease. I know with COVID, uh, I take a regimen of vitamins. You know, I take zinc and magnesium and this and that and the other, and I, I take them every morning, and it's supposed to help build the immune system so you can resist some of these diseases. But there's no known treatment like that for the disease that I'm talking about. And as a matter of fact, although it does affect your physical well-being, it's actually a spiritual disease as well uh, because it affects your spirit and your soul as well. And that's far greater than physical death. Physical death is just temporary. You know, you're here one minute, you're going the next, and, you know, you look down at your body and you say, hey, well, that wasn't that bad. You know, I just slipped out of my body, and I know where I'm going. I'm going to be with the Lord because... Once I vacate this body, I'm absent from the body, I'm going to be present with the Lord. Yes. You know, and I know uh, death is scary, and uh, people have different opinions about it, and different uh, thoughts about it, and different ideas about it, but it's simply stepping out of this body and being with the Lord. That's as simple as it can get. Amen? I mean, we can complicate it if we want it. If we want to, we can prolong it, we can do whatever we want, think whatever we want about death, but uh, death is really not that bad. It's just a passing, it's moving day for us, because the real you is just in this body. This is a 
tent, a tabernacle, Paul called it, a temporary dwelling place. It's our earth suit, just like an astronaut needs a space suit to go into outer space. We need an earth suit to live here on earth. And so we have it, but it's just temporal. It's temporary. But anyway, uh, turn with me to my passage of scripture. And uh, before we're finished this morning, I'm going to identify this disease for you, so don't worry about that. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1 through 16. And this is the last letter that the great apostle Paul wrote. He was in prison. This was his second imprisonment with Rome. And he knew his death was close at hand. Now, his first imprisonment, he was on house arrest. I guess he had an ankle monitor or something, but he was free to come and go. People were free to come and go to his house. And he was uh, still teaching, still witnessing, still being a great apostle and everything like that. But this time now, he's in a Roman prison. He's cold, he's hungry, he's wet. It's dark, it's dirty, and he's penning, or he's writing this letter, the last letter that he would write to the church or anybody else. And he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, I charge thee, therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick or the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Verse 2, preach the word. Tell everyone about God's message. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. In other words, be ready to share God's message. Don't hold anything back. If it requires you to rebuke somebody, rebuke them. Reprove somebody, reprove them. Exhort with all long suffering, all patience and doctrine. Know the doctrines of Christ. Know the doctrines of the Lord that you're teaching. And then in verse 3, he says, For the time will come, and I'm adding this, and now is, when they will not endure sound doctrine or sound teaching, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. In other words, you don't like what I'm telling you, you go find another church and another pastor and see what he has to say. If you don't like it, you go find another one until you finally someone that finally find someone that will scratch those itching ears of yours and tell you what you want to hear, even though it's not the truth, even though it's not what you need to hear, uh, it pleases you. Not anybody in this church, though. I'm just giving examples. Verse 4, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned into fables, myths, fairy tales. Verse 4 in the Amplified says, They will turn their ears away from the truth and will wander off into myths and man-made fictions and will accept the unacceptable. Think about that for a second. They will accept the unacceptable. Why? Because they turned their ear away from the truth. They didn't want to hear the truth. They wanted to hear something that pleased them. They wanted to hear something that wouldn't condemn them, like the word sometimes does, or not condemn, but convicts. The, the, the devil condemns, the Lord convicts. But that is exactly what's going on in a great deal of the modern day church right now. 
The unacceptable has become acceptable. And if I want to stay on Facebook, I can't tell you what that is right now. Ask me after church. But the unacceptable is being readily accepted by a great many Christians in the church, the uh, modern day church. Verse 5, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Paul knew it was his time. He says, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. If you finish the course that God has set you on, and you kept the faith, then you can say the same thing that Paul did. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. I fought a good fight. And how many know keeping the faith can sometimes be a good fight? Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. He says, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Don't forget he's talking to Timothy. And then in verse 10, he says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Crescens to Galatia and Titus unto Dalmatia. So he had three departing him. And the word world that's used here, having loved this present world, the world, the word world comes from the Greek word cosmos. And it actually has three meanings. The first meaning is God's created earth, the actual globe. You know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's one of the definitions of cosmos. And then the second definition uh, is the people on the earth. Cosmos is translated from a, a root word that's translated from another word that means ethnicity or ethnic or nationality or something like that. So it's talking about people. For God so loved the cosmos, the world, the ethnicity, the people, the nationalities of the world that he gave his only begotten son. And then finally there's a third definition and it's the one that is used here in 2 Timothy 4.10. Uh, it's the world system and how it operates. So three, three different definitions for cosmos. And he's talking about here the world system and how it operates. It's a system that stands and operates in opposition to God's system and the kingdom of God. And it includes the world's pleasures, the world's profits, the world's uh, pastimes, and the world's prestige. And also included in that is a great deal of pride. And then in verse 11, he says, Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. So he's telling Timothy, bring Mark with you. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Troas and Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee and the books, but especially the parchments or the writings of Paul that he had uh, Timothy keeping. Verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. That's not our job, that's God's job. 
If any vengeance is due somebody, God will pay it. Verse 15, of whom be thou ware, also be aware, for he hath greatly withstood our words. So he come against Paul's ministry, he come against Paul's preaching. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. His first answer, I guess he's talking about the previous letter, maybe 1 Timothy. And he's telling him, last time I talked to you, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. What a terrible feeling to have everyone forsake you. He says, I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. That's something that Jesus would do. Didn't he do that on the cross? He says, you know, don't lay this to their charge. They know not what they do. So Demas wasn't the only one that deserted Paul, but apparently the way Paul is talking here, it's the departure of the one that hurt him the most, uh, even more than the others. And there's only three scriptures that mention Demas by name, so we're limited in what we can learn about him. But in Colossians 4.14, Paul writes, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. So Demas... Uh, was there with Luke and uh, was with Paul also at Colossae, uh, probably sometime earlier in one of Paul's missionary journeys, or maybe a follow-up to the starting of the church at Colossae. And then at Philemon 1, and 24, Paul writes, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow Laborers. So apparently Demas was a fellow laborer with Paul and with these other uh, great men of God that were working with Paul. So it seems like he was an itinerant minister and he was being mentored by the Apostle Paul and apparently had been a laborer and a witness for Jesus along with Paul and the rest of them as well. But anyway, he was, he was a man of God working in the ministry working with the great apostle Paul but the Bible makes it clear that he deserted or as the Bible put it, he, King James put he departed Paul and the ministry because of his love for the present world and that's indicated in 2 Timothy where he's mentioned for the third time where we just read in 2 Timothy 4.10 and uh, yeah we're still talking about a deadly disease I think by now you should probably want to know more about it, right? Well, this deadly disease, as I said, has reached pandemic proportions in the church and has been around for centuries. And I didn't realize until I seen this and I started looking some of the examples up that the Lord was showing me. And uh, it wasn't really mentioned as such until Paul discovered it in his friend and protege, Demas. But we just read it in the fourth chapter in the 10th verse of 2 Timothy, so we're going to call this deadly disease the Demas 410 variant. <laughs> That's the name I give it. If they can name COVID and give it a number, I'm naming this the Demas 410 variant. It's a disease that causes departure and backsliding. Now we learned a few things about this disease and one of them is that it doesn't seem to be contracted or transmitted in the church itself. So the church is a safe place. 
You remember Paul was on that ship and the ship was getting was going to be wrecked and the angel came and spoke to Paul and he told Paul that there'll be no loss of life if everyone stays in the ship. That was their guarantee of life. Stay in the ship. Be no loss of life. Leave the ship, you're on your own. You could get killed, you could die. And then I, I know another place in Exodus where uh, it was the night of Passover and God instructed them to kill a lamb and then take the blood of that lamb, paint the doorposts and lentils of their house. And when he seen the blood, he would not allow the destroyer to come in and kill the firstborn of the house. But he said, you must stay in the house. So as long as they stayed in the house, they were safe. No running out for a pack of cigarettes. No running out to McDonald's to get a happy meal. None of that stuff. Stay in the house because I can't help you if you don't. Rahab the harlot. Joshua and Caleb told her. Says, uh, we'll spare you for helping us and getting us, uh, helping us escape the king and his soldiers. But, he says, you hang a scarlet thread representing the blood of Christ out of your window and will save you and your household, but they must remain in the house with you. So, you know, there was, there was guarantees of safety and life, but they had to stay in the house, the ship, or whatever. And I believe it's the same way nowadays. We've got to stay in the house. It's safe in the house. Amen? Yeah. Nobody's contracting that disease here in the house. It's when they leave the house that they contract it. And it seems to be most contagious when you mingle with the things that God has already warned us not to mingle with. See, you can't mingle with drugs and alcohol. You can't mingle with bad company. You can't mingle with pornography, fornicators, adulterers, casinos. I know they have a nice food bar or buffet. Can't go to the brothels, the bars, and the honky-tonks. You can't mingle with the pleasures of sin, period. And you can't mingle with these things because if you do, you will eventually catch this disease and it will cause departure and it gets nothing but worse from there. You might think everything's okay. Everything may seem okay. You may think you're getting away with something, but one day you will answer to the Lord for your mingling. And that's why Paul started this dissertation in verse 1 by saying, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the living and the dead at his appearing in the kingdom. You will be judged for your mingling. You don't have to say amen. You don't have to I'll amen myself. But you know what I discovered is the Demons 410 disease is nothing new. I've seen it all the way back to the book of Genesis. And although there was no name for it at, time, at the time, you can see it in several different places. And you will see it after today because of what I just said. The Bible tells us that Abraham's Nephew Lot, well, we could all go all the way back, but I didn't use this example. We can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Eve. She had her eye on something evil. She was mingling with something that God told her not to mingle with. 
And you know the rest of the story. It got her and Adam in trouble, and it got us in trouble until Jesus came back and fixed everything. But the Bible tells us that Abraham's nephew Lot had this disease. And in Genesis chapter 12, we can see the symptoms of it at work in Lot. God told Abram to leave his country and his relatives and go to a land that he would show him. That's all God told Abraham. Abraham being the man of faith that he was obeyed. God said he would make Abram into a great nation and he would bless him and make his name great. He wasn't Abraham at this time. God changed his name later. But the Bible says that Abram departed as the Lord had instructed him, but he made one big mistake, and that was that he took his nephew Lot with him and Lot's family. And it later caused him a lot of problems. You know, when God gives you specific instructions, that's the way they need to be obeyed. They need to be obeyed specifically. And even though you may not understand it at the time, there's a reason he doesn't want Lot to go with you. And God told him to leave his country and his relatives, which would have included Lot and his family. And so it was pretty clear. So God fulfilled his promise and blessed Abram the best that he could with a great family and large flocks of all kinds of cattle and camels and uh, every kind of cattle you can think of, sheep and goats. And he made Abram a very rich man. And Lot was blessed and made rich at the same time, but not because the promise was made to him, but because of who he associated with. So don't tell me it doesn't matter who you associate with, it does. And Lot received what I like to call the overflow blessing. Just by being around Abraham, Abraham was so blessed that it was overflowing and Lot was reaping from the overflow. Lot didn't even belong there, so it had to be overflowed. But they got to a place where their substance was so great and their flocks were so great that there wasn't enough grazing land. And here's another reason why he shouldn't have took Lot with him. Because Abraham, being the, the generous man that he was, tells Lot, he says, you pick the land before you. You take whatever you want and you go in that direction. I'll take what's left over and go in the opposite direction. That was not God's will for Abraham. But because he brought Lot with him, now this is what happened. Who knows what God had planned for Abraham if he didn't have Lot and his family with him and then grow to this place where they had to separate. But here's the thing. Lot chose all the plains of Jordan, the richest land, the best of the land. And he journeyed east. And Abram went towards the west and took what was left over and dwelled in the land of Canaan. And the Bible says Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. What's that mean? It means that Lot had his eyes on one of the most evil and wicked cities by God's own words of that time. And every night when he went to bed, as he closed the door to his tent, he seen the lights of Sodom. And every morning when he woke up and opened the doors to his tent, he seen the sun glistening on the city of Sodom. And it was like a big fishing lure to Lot. 
You know, I don't know how many people in here fish, but you get a big shiny old lure and it's got glitter on it and it sparkles and you throw it out there and you make it dance and you dangle it and then it's dancing and dangling and sparkling in front of that big old big mouth bass until he finally can't, he's so tantalized by it he can't help himself and he goes and bites it and he gets hooked and you got bass dinner. That's how it was with Locke. And it's funny, but God tells us to shun the very appearance of evil. I wonder why he would tell us that. In other words, don't think about it, don't look at it, don't go near it, and don't mingle with it. That's what it means. And it seems like if we shun the very appearance of evil, we seem to be able to avoid the evil. So it's easier to shun the appearance of it than it is to get into it and try to get out of it again. And the Bible says specifically that the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Not just wicked and sinners, but exceedingly wicked sinners. And Lot did nothing to avoid mingling with that city. And he wound up moving into that city with his family. And uh, it eventually cost him everything. Because when he left Sodom by the mercy of God and his uncle Abraham, Abraham at this point, still sticking up for him, said, peradventure, should there be 50 righteous, would you spare the city? And he worked his way all the way down to 10 or 5. And, and I don't know, I guess Lot was still considered by God to be a righteous man, even though he departed, even though he did the demons thing, even though he was infected with that disease, God still loved him. And so he let him escape with his life, maybe a pack pack on his back or something, but that was about it. And then he told him, don't even look back. See, he should have never been looking in the first place, but now he's leaving. He said, don't look back. But his wife had to look. She still had her eye on Sodom. Uh, she still wanted to mingle with Sodom. And when she looked back, she turned into a pillar of salt. So Lot lost everything he had. He took his wicked little children with them. They weren't righteous. And that later got him in trouble. But anyway, he he left there. He entered Sodom. A rich man left there so broke he couldn't pay attention. But you know, uh, that's one of the most upsetting burdens. I made a meme about that, or I wrote something on Facebook about this a couple weeks ago, but one of the most upsetting things that a pastor has to face is watching people that begin to mingle with the things of the world, knowing which direction they're headed in, knowing that it's going to get them in trouble, and then watch them depart and leave the church, leave the faith, leave God. That hurts a pastor probably more than not being able to pay the electric bill. But they abandoned the church and the people that God gave them as a family because God, the Bible says that God places them in the body as it pleases him. So if you've been placed in this body, it's because it pleased God, and this is the place that he wants you. If you look at the, the book of Revelation, there's seven churches, seven pastors, seven messages. And if you're supposed to be in the church at Sardis, you've got no business in the church at Thessalonica because that's not your pastor and that's not the message Amen. that you need to hear. Amen. They had good messages. They were good pastors, good churches, but that ain't where God placed you 
So you're not going to be hearing what God wants you to hear on Sunday morning. You're here this morning because this pastor has a message that God says you need to hear. And you know what? Even though that church down the street is a good church, probably got a dynamic pastor that preaches better than me, it's not the message that you need to hear this morning. God has a reason for everything. He's amazing. Hallelujah. But anyway, uh, these are people that have become your family. They've been in your life for a while. You've been in their life, and then all of a sudden, you depart. And it's a ruthless disease that has victimized people over and over again and will probably continue to do this until Jesus returns. But it's still something that a pastor never gets used to. I know the very first one that ever departed our church, and it was in the hotel back in 1994, 1995, or something like that. I remember everyone that's ever departed this church. I know where most of them are today, and they're not in other churches. But anyway, people usually find an excuse to leave that really has nothing to do with the reason they're leaving. Uh, I'm gonna give you a few, try not to be too descriptive, or you might be able to tag somebody with it, but I just couldn't connect. I don't feel like part of the church anymore. I'm not growing here. My kids don't feel like a part of the youth. My children aren't learning their culture here. I feel called to another church. My husband, husband doesn't believe the way I do, so we're going to start going to his church to make him happy. I could tell you some more, but it, it doesn't make any difference. People leave churches every week for all kinds of reasons that they have, but the real reason in most cases is because they've mingled with something in the world and they got a taste of the pleasures of sin, which are only temporary, and they give up eternal things for the temporary. It's just a bad investment. It's just a bad trade-off. But they catch Demas 4.10, and unless they turn it around, they're headed for a destiny of aches and pains. Let me put it that way. And how do I know that? It's because 98% of them are not going to any kind of church now. They may have tried at first, but never found anything that they really liked, and mainly because they, they couldn't find a place where God placed them, because they left the place that God placed them. And not only that, but their children contract the disease because they're in the same household, and they're not going anywhere either. It's a deadly disease. And uh, it has a nickname, nickname, too. It's called the backsliding virus. The virus don't backslide. It causes you to backslide. And it can happen to anyone. And one of the symptoms is lukewarmness towards the things of God and also pitching your tent towards something that's attracted you that you shouldn't be attracted to. It's the last thing you see with your mind's eye when you go to bed at night. It's the first thing you see with your mind's eye when you wake up in the morning. And even though you know it's wrong, it seems like you can't think about anything else. And day and night, you think about this 
thing. You see it in your mind. You see yourself there. And the Apostle Paul gave us an antidote for wrong thinking. In Philippians chapter 4, he said, think on these things. Whatsoever things are uh, pure, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are uh, lovely, uh, whatsoever things are good or report, if there be any virtue and there be any praise, he said, think on these things. So we know what to think on. We don't have to think on that city. We don't have to think on that thing that we want to enjoy that God says to leave alone. We, we got other things to think of. And he told us we should be thinking on these things rather than the thing that's got your fancy or got you attractive. But you keep thinking about the things that are in the present world. Things that are contaminated with this disease. And just like Demas, people don't catch the virus overnight. It happens gradually as you mingle with dangerous things in the present world. I don't know what your dangerous thing is. I know things that I've had to deal with over the years. And it might be different than yours. But we all have our Sodoms at one time or another in our life. And it's like walking downstairs. You, if you're like me, you take one step at a time. It used to be I might skip a step here and there, but not anymore. I take one step at a time. But then again, I have seen people fall down a flight of stairs, too. So it's no guarantee that it happens slowly. It could happen quickly. But for the most part, it begins with a little mingling, a little concession here, a little acceptance of this and that, a little compromise, little indulgences. Remember, I told you about the power of little things last week. Sometimes it happens just by choosing to do what others are doing. But slowly and subtly, it finds its way into the heart, and that's when it's, 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 it's deadliest. And in Paul's first letter to Timothy, in chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, the times we're living in right now, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits. He's telling us the symptoms of the disease and and, and what he means are the reasons that they're departing from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, I don't know if you know what that means, but it's like cauterizing a wound. You know, got a, a wound that won't stop bleeding, and as a last resort, they give you a stick to bite on, they heat up an iron or a poker or something, and they cauterize that wound and they seal it. But it stops the bleeding and saves your life. So you bite down on the stick and you pump up and take it. But these are just symptoms of the virus. And the devil begins to sear your conscience in the same manner. And the things that would have bothered you before don't bother you anymore. The things that brought conviction to you don't convict you anymore. You override your conscience. You override the Spirit of God that's telling you not to do this thing or go there. And you do it anyway. And it's because your conscience has been seared, you don't feel the way that you used to. And, you know, anytime a wound is seared, it, it, it makes a scar. And that scar is dead. There's no feeling in that scar. It's like with calluses. You work with a hammer or an axe long enough and... Like Brother Will, he's probably got calluses all over his hands, but 
it happens, it starts out as a blister and it hurts and then you keep working and it starts to develop a callus and it gets hard and then pretty soon it doesn't hurt you anymore to handle that hammer or handle those bricks or whatever it is that cause them things. And calluses don't have feelings. I used to have them when I was a truck driver. I, I don't have that many anymore. But uh, I would spin that steering wheel all day long, every day, 365 days a week, a year. <laughs> Sometimes it seemed like 365 days a week. And I had calluses on my hand, and I used to cut them off with a knife. I sharpened my knife, and I sliced some calluses right off. Never felt a thing. That's what Paul's saying about your conscience. Your, your conscience and the way that you hear this still, small voice, it gets seared, and it becomes callous, and... You don't hear the voice of God anymore. And you don't listen to your conscience anymore. And that's a bad place to be. Because God's not going to raise his voice for you just because you don't want to listen to him. That's right. He always speaks in a still, small voice. But anyway, they begin to mingle with the things of this present world until one day, like that big bass, they get caught. And before they know it, it's totally separated them from the faith, from God, from the church. That's spiritual death. There's nothing worse. Judas Iscariot is another example of someone that loved God, but he began mingling with the things of this present world. And he began to love money more than he did God. And he, like demons, caught the virus. And I know he started out right because... Uh, and I don't know exactly what he did for a living or what he did before Christ called him, but he willingly and readily went with Christ and followed him. So there had to be something good about Judas for him to quit whatever it was he was doing and follow Jesus. And Judas spends a little over three years with Jesus, maybe closer to three and a half years. That's the length of Jesus' ministry. And he heard all of his teachings and his sermons and he seen the miracles and the healings and the deliverances. And he even performed a few miracles himself because the Lord sent the 12 out two by two. And he told them, uh, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of disease. And I'm sure that Judas did some of those things. You know, uh, when you taste of the things of God, I can't understand why somebody or how somebody could turn their back having tasted the things of God and seen and did the things that God did. But we know Ju Judas did catch the virus because he not only walked away from Jesus and the other disciples, he left his church, but he actually betrayed the Lord. But there's evidence that this didn't happen to Judas overnight or suddenly. We find that he was given a big responsibility. He was actually the treasurer for, Je for Jesus' ministry. And for those of you that think Jesus was poor, I'm going to kick that sacred cow over right now because Jesus was not poor. He ministered to rich people. And you heal a rich man's daughter, and you are going to get blessed by that rich man. And it would go right into... Jesus' treasury, or the ministry's treasury, and Judas was in charge of it. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with money. Nothing wrong with being rich. Uh, Paul described the love of money is the evil, uh, uh, the evil thing. Not money itself, but uh, the love of money is evil. He does, God doesn't want us loving money. 
He wants us to have it. He wants us to enjoy good things and spending it on things, but he doesn't want it to have us. But in spite of everything that Judas knew about Jesus, his mingling and his love for the money growing to the point where it became the root of all evil to him, and it became more important to him than Jesus. You remember when Mary anointed Jesus' feet with a very expensive ointment? The first thing G Judas thought of is how they could have sold that ointment and made so much money out of it and give it to the poor. Well, he had no intentions of giving it to the poor. And he even betrayed Jesus for his love of money. For a, a lousy 30 pieces of silver, he gave up Jesus. And you know, every crooked and evil thing that is in the world today, in this present world, is done because of the love of money. You cannot think of any evil thing that doesn't have money or the love of money at the very root of it. I can name things, but again, I want to stay on Facebook. So I have to behave myself. But you're probably thinking of them right now. This last couple of years, there was billions and gazillions of dollars made over things that it should have never been made for. And, and things were compromised and things were done that should have never been done, and it was all for the love of money. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But Judas started out so well, but he spent too much time mingling in the world and falling in love with money and eventually became infected with the Demas 410 disease. In 2 Timothy 4.10, back to that passage of scripture, we find the apostle Paul crying out, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Why did Paul mention Thessalonica? I mean, it seems like it wouldn't make a difference where he departed to, he departed. But he departed to Thessalonica because it was a big worldly city like Sodom, and they passed through there in their ministries. And I'm sure that it was just like Sodom. It glistened in the sun, and the bright lights of it were an attraction at night. It was a port city, which meant it was a, on a trade route. Every, all the riches of the world were coming in and out of that city, and it attracted Demas to that city, and he began to mingle it. Maybe he stopped there. Uh, on a missionary journey that turned into some other kind of journey for him, but he spent more time there and eventually had his eye on that and eventually went back to it, just like Lot did with Sodom. That's why I think Paul mentioned it by name. And you know, I've said this before, but one of the saddest things in the Bible is that you can search it from beginning to end and you'll never find anywhere in it where Demas ever returned. I hope to see him in heaven someday. But there's no indication of that in the Bible. But like I said, people forsaking God, the church, and the faith usually doesn't happen overnight. It happens gradually by giving a little here and a little there. And, and there's plenty of warning signs along the way. And not only that, but it takes time to sear a conscience, just like it takes time to build a callus. And if you, like demon, have departed, Obviously, nobody in here, but I may be talking to someone on Facebook that knows you should be in the church, but you're not. 
you're sitting at home on the sofa sipping coffee and watching me. But if you departed or thinking about departing, whether it's because of the pull of the world or because you've been hurt, uh, maybe by the ministry, maybe by other church members, maybe by the pastor himself, but you've been hurt or for any other reason you've departed the church, talk to somebody. Talk to your old pastor. Figure something out. I mean, you're, you're mingling with things that's going to cost you an eternity with God. It's not worth it. This present world, he specified present world. And, and that tells me that this is something temporary. This isn't our home. We're passing through. So we have to prepare for eternity while we're here. And, uh, you know, just like Demas, uh, like I said, I hope I see him in heaven someday, but there's no indication that he ever returned. You've got that chance. You can still return. Uh, as a matter of fact, that's the only cure or antidote for this disease is that you return and repent. Amen. Do you know anybody that I'm talking to this morning? Do you know anybody I'm talking to this morning? I have, of course, I love everybody that's ever come to this church, ever departed it, but I have friends and I have family that's departed from this church. I know they belong here. They had a, they played a big role in this church. They had a part in this church. They had a ministry in this church. We loved them dearly. I know they loved us, and yet they still departed. Come on. God's not mad at you. I'm not mad at you. We both still love you. And there's nothing that you could be enjoying or thinking that you're enjoying right now. I know the Bible says that there's pleasure in sin, but it's only for a moment. It's temporary. Things I'm talking about are eternal. And like I said, there's only one way you can recover from this. And I know it's, it's more spiritual and soulish type of disease, but it does affect your physical body as well. And with the direction that this world is headed in, this country is headed in, there's no safer place than right here. Amen? So just, you know, I'm not trying to bring any condemnation on anybody. I, uh, it's not even my job to convict anybody. That's what the Holy Ghost does. But if you feel conviction, it's like I said, talk to somebody. Talk to your pastor. Even if it's not me, if Come from another church, talk to him. Tell him what's going on. Talk to God. Tell him what's going on. Amen? That's all I got to say. God bless you. I love you and appreciate you. We're going to uh, receive communion here in a minute. Off the air because I didn't tell anybody that we were going to have communion today, so it's going to be fair to them. But think about what I said. God bless you. Love you and appreciate you. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.